Hey, it's Nadine, and welcome back to In Her Lens. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. We're over halfway through the first season already, and we still have some superb episodes to come. To support the project, and as prep for season two starts, please take a second to rate, subscribe, review, and share the episodes with your pals. It really does make the biggest difference. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart, and let's get to today's episode. Adina Danzinger is a Korean-Polish first-generation American filmmaker. Her short films, which you can watch on Vimeo, including Cheer Up Baby and Chopping Onions, have screened at various festivals, including Sundance, Berlinale, Slamdance, and New York Film Festival, which is where I first encountered her work. Raised in New York City and with a BA from Bard, Adina has worked with companies like Zara, Gucci, Tory Burch, Nowness, and Dazed. She has shot, directed, and edited music videos for artists like OK Kaya and Ariel East. In this episode, Adina and I talk about her journey to visual storytelling and the development of her short films. In connection to her 2017 short, Cheer Up Baby, we discuss channeling and confronting personal stories in a public form. We talk about the joy of making music videos, creative collaborations, and setting boundaries with commercial work. Plus, she gives some great recommendations at the end of the episode. I'm so thrilled about all her thoughts, so without further ado, here is Adina on In Her Lens. Thank you so much for coming on In Her Lens. Welcome. Thank you for being here. It's really such an honor because I watched one of your films, I think three years ago now, almost, uh, called Cheer Up Baby, and now here we are. So I like to start every episode to talking about the most recent film that you've seen and then a couple of thoughts that you have on them or on it. Um, well, I just want to say thank you for having me. Uh, and it's interesting to talk about work right now where it feels like it's been such a slow period, but I will try. I was not watching movies for really like for a few weeks because I was just I can't sit still at all but the last movie I rewatched was Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> it's I was showing it to someone who had never seen it before and I was like you have to watch this movie and they gave me this whole explanation about why they didn't want to see the movie. I was like this is exactly why you need to see the movie. <laughs> just like smart and skeptical and I was like okay cool and I just we didn't get up once. I didn't look at my phone. It was just you know one of those pure movie experiences that is very hard to have right now um to not feel the urge to see what's going on uh on your phone or to just like get up and go use the bathroom which is like a bad thing to say as a filmmaker (laughs) but it's just like an attention span thing Mm -hmm. it's so different (laughs) Um, I was thinking about this the other day like how used I was to going to the movie theaters and then really having to adjust being able to watch new work as well at home on the TV or on my laptop. Like that was a real adjustment for me. I think I used to watch a lot of just stuff I'd already seen on my laptop. And then when I would go see new work, I would go somewhere. But now in the last, obviously nine months, 10 months, you can't do that. You have to adjust and you want to input. But that's a really great experience. (laughs) I mean, such a beautiful way to watch that movie again, especially with somebody who hasn't seen it. I know, I, I feel like I haven't seen so many classics to then have a you know people in my life who haven't seen classics I'm like wow like it, it doesn't matter mm. you know how many movies you've seen or how much you know about movies you can still not have seen everything and I'm just not one of those people that have like seen every single movie I get really into one person or mm. if it's an actor or if it's a director or something about it I just get really in a hole with that one particular mine and want to explore that and I remember I did that really young with like certain like eras of filmmaking I was like I want to like get to know what what was going on here Mm -hmm. and see what the connections were with other movements and other filmmakers and what kind of dialogues were happening yeah we're trying to piece that together in my own understanding but yeah I especially writing is hard it's either I could watch everything for research. So it was really nice to watch that movie actually because I wasn't thinking about what I was writing. I was mm-hmm. just watching it for what it was. And it's really hard to do that when you're 
creating because you're just constantly judging yourself and judging other work, not in a negative negative way, but just in, you know, just thinking about it for, for something other than the experience of watching a story. So I get so excited when I'm just watching a story. It just takes a lot for me mm-hmm. to get to that space. Right now, I guess it's like classic, classic cinema. Yeah. It's Ben Affleck. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's interesting you're talking about when you were younger, because a lot of who we are today and arguably everything comes from our childhood, kind of what we see and what we're surrounded by. Where tell us a bit about the way you grew up and where and how. Where and how. Um, so I grew up in New York City in Lower Manhattan. And I, yeah, my parents, my dad is Polish and my mom is Korean. Dad's Polish Jewish. And they emigrated at different times uh, in the 70s and the 80s and met in New York City. And I, my dad had an apartment. They, they, my mom moved in there so that I was raised in this apartment. It was pretty small. I had a couple of siblings and my grandma. So it was a tight house. And I just kind of left as often as I could, as young as I was. Like, as I think I was like as young as like 10, just being like, I'm out of here. I need to go explore. <laughs> and it was very much, you know, downtown was very much more of a neighborhood than it was this shopping mall as it mm. is now. And, you know, you just saw people that you knew on the street. It was just felt smaller, even though it was the same geographical space. But uh, yeah, I went to public schools, uh, had really good bands of friends. And then through middle school, started to make more of these very like special, solid group of friends. And then carried that through high school, where I went to a very uh, tricky high school, just in the sense that New York was this public school system is so complicated. Um, and that year, so many kids were displaced. So me and a few friends ended up at some, ended up at some school that was not our ideal choice, but we uh, ended up just branching out. And I, I found art, I think there is a way to escape the reality of high school and also just not feeling like I was finding uh, teachers that really understood what I, who I was or trying to help me cultivate that were interested in that, except for one teacher who then sort of became the catalyst to my uh, interest in film. Mm. So I was just not someone that wanted to write papers and didn't really know how I just knew I had the thoughts and the emotions behind it. I just couldn't figure out how to conform to some sort of structure that I didn't believe in. Right. Um, which really just mirrors and reflects throughout so many other things in my life. But I think it partially has to do with growing up as a first generation and growing up in a house where I was learning Hebrew, I was learning Korean, uh, and then also learning English and extracurriculars. Like I just was doing too much when I was too young um, and really wasn't doing, I just didn't feel like a kid. So I think I really rebelled after my bat mitzvah I was like I just want to like be free and be a kid and have friends and like do nothing and like not feel guilty about it Mm -hmm. um and then yeah I I joined an art collective with some of my friends in by high school so they were from all these different schools and New York just kind of worked in this way where you knew everyone whether it was through music or through just parties who knows I don't know how the world is so interconnected but it it is, and uh, found a few uh, folks, and we are all sort of different grades, uh, different like stages of our life and interests, and uh, most of them were in fine art. And I was like, I didn't, I was like, I don't like drawing or painting. This isn't my thing, but I want to be a part of this. And so, my dad had a big photography background, and so I'd always kind of be surrounded by his photographs and was like, oh, I really like photography. I like taking pictures. Uh, maybe this is maybe this is my calling. And so I sort of was like the documentary girl, like mm-hmm. documenting the, what was going on to make sure that I wasn't getting kicked out of the collective for just being there. <laughs> um, but I, I, I found that I really enjoyed creative writing, freeform writing, and photography. And I was like, these are two things I like. I don't know if I'm good at them, but I think that if I married them, this would actually be filmmaking. And then I had this like click in my head and I was like, maybe this is 
filmmaking can be so many things. And I, you know, was really excited by the idea that I didn't just have to choose this one way of making something or that I can incorporate all these other colors and, and different types of characters and flavors under the umbrella of a medium. Right. So I went to college with with that intention, kind of not knowing. I was like, I don't really know. I made like videos with my friends. Like I didn't yeah. really know what I was what I was signing up for. And my college was very uh just more geared towards experimental filmmaking. And I knew that uh, I didn't want to go to a traditional, like learn how to be in the industry and leave college with this, you know, a very structured job and structured life in the industry. So I was, I was excited to go somewhere that I could also study other, other subjects that didn't have to do with film. So, but I ended up, uh, you know, finding, mentors who were very amazing independent filmmakers and still everyone at Bard uh, that's the college I went to they were all uh, working professors so that was very inspiring to see them uh, you know teaching and still making projects and still being you know in the process of creating and all of the the confusions that can come with that even if you've reached points of success you're still working through things like everyone else. So it was interesting mm -hmm. to be at a school where that, that was the energy and it wasn't just this, like, like the way I grew up, it was very like, teachers are right. Teachers are going to tell you how to do things. It's like mm -hmm. a very like, I don't know, to me, not, not the most productive learning experience. Um, there's no exchange. So it was interesting to be at a school where there's lots of dialogue versus just, um, a lecture right. uh right. was in very small classes so i uh yeah and then i i was in a movie in by the i was like 19 or something and i it was some relationship to someone i knew in the city but a filmmaker reached out on like facebook or like their producer reached out on facebook and i was like wow what a funny i was like this must be a joke and it was <laughs> shooting right <laughs> it was shooting right by my school uh, and I was like, wow, this is kind of easy. I don't want to go back to the city over the summer. I'll just like stay up here, like the house that I was in, you know, work on this movie once or twice a week and very uh, out of like cosmically, like people I knew were a part of this project. Uh, one of my best friends was the main character. So it was just like a really fun, interesting, mm -hmm. I didn't really want to be an actor, but wanted to look and see what it was like to be on a film set. And that was really eye-opening because it was a very low-budget feature that was all improv, very small crew, felt very like something. I, I liked the spirit of it, and I didn't really understand how hard it was just being not in the position of a director or producer at the time, but just being like, this is this is possible. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, like, I like this, and I know that you can do things in your own way if you get enough people together at, that believe in the project. And that person became uh, sort of a mentor friend and now is a very good friend, but really helped me sort of understand and keep like, keep one foot out of the door of the institution, mm -hmm. which is something that I was always very conscious of um, being at a very, you know, closed uh, circuit school in like the, you know, upstate New York, not really having much resources and tools and different landscapes to explore. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that that is an excuse for not being creative, but it, it does do something to the, to the mind when you're not being exposed to, you know, something like New York city um, where you see different things all the time and there's so much kinetic energy. So to always, to have someone that was like, you can still, you know, don't limit yourself to like educational. Mm. My school is super non-traditional, but there was still, you know, an influence of wanting to make things like your professors because they were incredible, but just right. trying to continue to hold on to whatever you think is is you, which is the most important lesson to take away from that school. It's like, you don't need to do, you, you can learn how to do things, but you can't learn how to be an individual unless you just kind of explore that and Mm. I remember a teacher told me, um, like, you can, you can teach all the technicals, but you can't teach ambition. And I think that really filtered out a lot of people by the end of the, the, the program, because it's a lot of work. I think that yeah. whole, it was like a, a hazing period of being like, wow, this takes a lot of work. And this is not, 
you know, it's never a small thing um, if you want something to be good. I worked on uh, Chopping Onions, which was my first thesis. I went to Prague for a study abroad program, and then I came back and was like, okay, I'm going to make this thing. So I started, uh, I started that film pretty early on, I think at the end of my junior year, um, which you're supposed to start those things at the beginning of your senior year. And I think I shot, I shot that film the summer before I was a senior. Um, and I think I was a part-time student by the end of my, my time at Bard, uh, just to be able to edit. And I edited for like a year. I just had too much time to edit that Mm. film, but it was, it was great to have all of that time to think and to have conversations and to know how long it can take. Um, yeah, that, that was an interesting and very difficult project. (laughs) And it's such a beautiful capture of both, so it's a relationship between a grandmother and her granddaughter, but it's also a capture of the granddaughter, of the child's experience and of the grandmother's experience. Mm-hmm. What I really liked about that film, and it did really well on the festival circuit as well, is it, you kind of, what you were saying about keeping one foot out of kind of academia. How did you break that mold of, this is, I mean, it's a student film, but it's also a film, right? And it is your fir- first official short, I would say. Yeah, Um, yeah, because that's always such a balance in your final years, I would imagine, of film school. Yeah, well, it was it was interesting because I feel I had a friend who was a senior when I was a junior and he was sort of doing the same thing where he was kind of like, I don't want to just make a student film. I don't want to just identify as a student filmmaker. I want to make this short. I want a festival thing. And then also having this mentor who was very much uh, in the festival uh, circuit with his films, um, very much believed in that as as a process that one should go through as a filmmaker and was kind of explaining to me how that worked. And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I could apply. And then feeling like I didn't really tell, I didn't tell the people, my like the faculty, not that I was hiding it from them, but that it wasn't part of, it wasn't part of my school. It wasn't a responsibility that I had to tell them, nor was it a responsibility that they wanted to take on and help with. Um, it was kind of just like, if you're going to do that, that's great. You know, it's like, you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. Um, I didn't, I didn't apply for any of these things as saying I was a student filmmaker. Um, Mm -hmm. for some reason, I just felt that I didn't want that to be part of the intro. I didn't want that to inform the piece and just to see if it could exist, uh, as any other film, uh, that was being applied, that was being applied, uh, to mm-hmm. these various festivals. I, yeah, I mean, I remember just doing, I just spent, cause I had all this free time cause I was editing. So I had so much time to edit and I knew I was done. I just had the guilt of knowing that I had to keep looking at it and tinkering with it but I spent a lot of time in my studio just online looking at festival websites being like what is this what's that and Mm. just sort of gathering a list of being like okay this is like European festivals these are American festivals looking at films that I had seen um and just following the trajectory of that those like films seeing where they went and just kind of doing that kind of work helped me see it more as like, okay, there's this world outside of school where people go and they go to festivals. And I already knew what, you know, Cannes and all these big festivals were uh, before, I mean, in the process of BARD, I was like, yeah, these things exist. And Mm. these, you know, are a stamp of approval to a degree. I don't know how much uh, they matter, but they must matter to to someone so it was kind of not encouraged to get into that space at the time I was at Bard because to maintain the purity of creating which I actually do really I do respect a lot because you can get very carried away with the process of festivals and it can be very disheartening mm-hmm. um, and very time consuming where you could just be working on the thing you love doing and really savoring the four years that you have just to do that um and not you know trying to bring in real life too much because yeah it's it's really based off of preference but I was the reason why I felt like I was going faster was maybe because I finished faster so I had this extra semester and then I had this when I was in Prague 
I was talking to some of the people that were part of the art collective I was in in high school, like some of my closest friends. And we had just been like kind of playing around with this idea of making a movie, like a feature road film. And by my senior year at Bard, I was right. We were all writing that together and I was going back to the city to like start like to co-write that and, and to start thinking about that. And then we went on and shot the film that summer. And I just never stopped mm-hmm. being around a lot of people who had like an unending, unwavering energy, didn't want to not be working. And that work ethic definitely comes from, uh, you know, the kid and always having something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also being a figure skater, I think that was a big part of that, like work ethic guilt that I always had to be mm-hmm. doing something. Um, <laughs> but that's different different story I just uh yeah it it all just sort of snowballed and I think what happened with the festival circuit for chopping onions was I just applied to everything I just Mm. literally like I just I also had a kickstarter for that film and um that was very strange for uh that was strange for college and some of my peers to be like you're kickstarting because our school didn't give us any money to make stuff and I was like I want to make this a little bit better than I can shoot it myself and I'll and hire a crew and try to do this right and then the my friend who was a year above me shot my film um, and taught me a lot about how that worked and his partner at the time who was also a bit older uh, taught me how to make a film in lots of ways um, I still I mean I owe it to so many friends of mine mm. who were all making very cool interesting and weird work uh not weird but some of them uh <laughs> to to the education that really like supplemented the, the college experience to mm-hmm. to know that I could just just try things and just see what would happen with traveling on it got into Berlinale which was really surprising I was like what is I was like I thought it was like fake I was like this is crazy I had no idea and and I was like I asked them there I was like why like why this film and and they said I feel like they said uh that they hadn't really ever seen that many live action films for children like short Mm. films Mm. and I was like interesting I don't know because a lot of that stuff is animation uh lots of the the pro the films in that program were animations actually um but I think it really hit a target for kids that were like in the six to eight range um yeah and the coolest thing about that program I was like oh weird I never thought of this as a kid's film because I feel like the content is incredibly not mature but it it is um extremely poignant and I was like for that to to appeal to children I don't know I mean I think that they can Mm -hmm. identify with the girl um but at at that screening they have a couple of German schools at the screenings for what the section was called generation uh and they have kids come like a field day and they're they're asking like Q&A they're doing like the Q&A and they ask amazing questions they ask really? questions that were very like they stopped me in my tracks I was like kids see everything kids are so honest yeah you know they're so blunt and they're they're really just no they're no bullshit and <laughs> really observant very observant and like even things that I was like oh you know people forgive you know mistakes in film and like I remember some a kid pointed out like why did that happen I'm like uh I don't actually know uh you just you just called me out on something very cool so that was um that was interesting but um um and then you know from from one film that you know has a run it it helps with the following so Mm -hmm it just helps people see that you've made stuff. And I don't really know to what extent, uh, you know, I don't know any more else than that, but it's just about continuing to make stuff. Yeah. And Cheer Up Baby was sort of a, I I just needed to do something a little bit harder because I Mm. felt like I was being pigeonholed into this thing where it was like sweet and soft and poignant and nice. And I was like, I, I, I really like all of those things so much, but I, have an I you know coming out of college and having all these other different emotions to deal with I was like oh there's something else I haven't tapped into yet and right that will right. be this film cheer up baby is your second short and it's about a woman who gets sexually assaulted on the subway in the New York City subway and kind of the ensuing processing and experiencing the world after an experience like that 
I really want to talk about the writing and directing of a story like that and kind of the delicacy that is a part of, of a film. What was the writing process like for What's Your Up, Baby? Oh, wow. It was so, it was rough. Uh, I remember that being a very, it was the longest part of the process. Um, I don't remember how it started to form. I mean, I do in, in the sense of feeling... It was in a very reflective period after making a film with my friends and trying to understand what that meant in terms of my identity as a filmmaker, what I wanted to do, what I, what kind of things I liked, and then also just feeling feeling this uh, ang- not anger, but I was like something's really bothering me, and I really need to like get it out, and I just started writing all these ideas down about things that have happened in my past, especially in the vein of like, you know, injustices such as what happened to your baby. And I was just thinking about all this stuff and I, it really was just remembering that experience again. And it just sort of like flashed, it flashed Mm. before, like it just came across my mind and I was like, oh my gosh, like, whoa, this happened. And, And moving back to the city, feeling like I just really didn't want to be there after being in like four, four years of trees and like a beautiful, you know, like creaky house with my friends and like being in a very different environment and knowing that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Really not realizing that until I went away for many years and growing up in the city, I was like, I don't, this place is not for me. It's just not, I don't, I still have a a tricky relationship with it too. And uh, in terms of the environment and I was like, this place just, hurts you know it hurts to walk around there's just moments where I was like in the subway and like the train would come by and I'm just like oh my gosh like not again it just feels like I'm like sinking and I was like what is this what's going on and I and it really kind of started the the film kind of started as this like uh this letter to the city about how maybe just like disappointed I was in that feeling or or something I was just like oh I I need to write this out the aggression of the city really is just something I need to get off my chest and and then from there I was like well what is the story and then was thinking about parts of the city before I left for college that really rubbed me the wrong way and kind of just want, reckoning with this experience as, you know, Chopping Onions was also about reckoning with an experience and a, of a breaking of innocence of a, a transport, like a relationship with my grandmother that was changing and sort of grieving, grieving and sort of coming to terms with things was sort of part of the language that I felt like I was developing as a filmmaker mm-hmm. a few years ago. And I think is very, is part of me now, but not as much as 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 during the time of writing Cherub Baby. So it took a lot of different turns and I just had to put it down a lot because I just couldn't figure it out. And I was mm. like, should I even make something like this? This is really intense. Uh, I was really afraid of offending people. Um, didn't really know how I wanted to tell this story. There was just so many different conversations I was having with women, mm-hmm. uh, friends of mine that I was just like, well, how do you tell a story like this without being too too much or too little and finding this this space in in the in the middle of that and where does it start what is the timeline and i thought a lot about what is the timeline you see this person in uh especially for short films i think that's kind of the first question i ask myself is what is the time frame is it an afternoon is it a week is it a year? Because then from there you can frame it emotionally. And then for this film, it was very tricky because I was like, the immediate aftermath is a shock. The the aftermath of say what I was going through years later was like a very different understanding. Um, but I think in terms of what I wanted to portray was that feeling right after something happens and you just mm-hmm. do not, your, your brain does not know how to process. So you disassociate and you, you know, try to go about things in a normal way, but there's obviously something that you can't, um, you know, it's just there and you're just trying to run away from it because that's the immediate defense mode. 
I was really trying to like understand psychology at the time. And I was like, you know what? I, yeah, I really like was like, oh, maybe I should read some psychology books and like get intellectual. And I was like, no, this is a very, this is a very intuitive process. And this person would not know. I don't want to implement that kind of knowledge onto this character, let alone myself as a writer to influence anything that I felt wasn't authentic to the experience or what it could be or how Mm. I experienced it. And yeah, so I also come from a dance background and I think a big uh, question that I, or an interesting intersection of movement and touch was that. And I was like, okay, well, dance will become another element of, another layer of how to talk about movement. And I've always been so interested in the way that, how intimate dancing and contact improvisation, especially, which is at the beginning of the film, how how safe it is when you're in, how safe, but how intensely intimate it is. You know, it's a very like, you're the whole experience of that, you know, it's about trust. It's about the transference of weight of another person or, or multiple people. And all of that is so symbolic of, of something very tender. Uh, so I really wanted to honor that and showcase that. And the teacher in it is, uh, the teacher is a teacher I had in high school who sort of changed my changed my life in, in dance and also just in spirituality in so many ways. She's just such a light. To have a person placed in between um, associations with the same I mean fundamental idea of intimacy not intimacy but touch you know that that I felt was something I was going through and something I was kind of working through and I'm trying to understand myself it felt so delicate it felt like a feather if I had like gotten it wet it would have just like completely just gotten ruined and I was very like okay well if it does Mm. and I was like coming out of a project that was so improv heavy that I was like, I need to try to do something Mm. really structured. I think this is more like me to have a plan um, and wanting a plan and knowing that I could um, execute that with different kinds of compromises, but not compromises in the story or the character. The shoot itself, I mean, we, I worked with a lot of friends, uh, but the the DP I worked with, Mia Henry, she reached out to me after a project I'd done with Mickey Blanco. So that happened before, I guess. Yeah. There's a whole like other side of commercial slash uh, commission work that started to happen after Chopping Onions. That was splitting me into two different ways. And I think another reason why I did Share a Baby was because I wanted to just do something that was mine. Yeah. The actual filming process was so, I remember laughing a lot and having a really good time. And I was like, wow, we're making a very intense series project but it's cool to also feel lots of love and and lightness in behind the scenes and Mm. Bobby who plays the main character is someone I grew up with and so there was a just an inherent intimacy and Bobby's younger sister Lola plays the the little sister in the film so it was it was a family affair. Mm. What um what are things that you bring in to selecting the team you kind of build around you in both cast and crew? How do you approach building a reliable and 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 safe but also fun set? Um it really, you know, Chopping Onions was very much everyone I, I knew everyone on that set. I mean, my best friend had done art. Um that was my grandma. I mean, we found the we found the young uh, character through my best friend's like friend of a friend. You know, it was all connected to something familiar and personal. Um, and I and I just thought at that time I was like, I, I just want to work with non actors and my friends, and that was going to be my life. Um, which I think for that film really really needed to happen because it was you know my grandma's not an actor; she's old. Uh, lots of variables at play that I, I I don't think that takes away from being professional, but I think that it, um, it just enters the space with a, an understanding that this isn't just a film um, or that you can also be a human and also be a filmmaker, um, which is an idea that I have uh, lots of trouble with 
especially like in the more recent years, like how to how to balance life and film. Mm. I like working with people that I know and that I'm friends with. Lots of my friends are in film. I'm very concerned with like making sure that it's a good, fun, enjoyable set, even though it can be hard. It's like you're all here. It's not a job. It's a passion project. And, you know, you do this because you want to have a good time. I like working with people I know, especially in front of the screen, too. Like I'm not haven't really done. I've, I've, I've filmed people that I don't know for work all the time, but something about my own projects, I need a little bit of a familiarity. I think both Chopping Onion, Cheer Up Baby, and Moving, you know, they're very personal stories in a public form. And that that concept in and of itself is is kind of daunting and, and very vulnerable, and it's a thin line to balance on. What is kind of your relation to the more personal, the more universal and, and writing that kind of thing. Yeah, it is, it is really vulnerable. Um, and it's funny cause I'm really, uh, not, I remember the reason why I quit skating was cause I didn't want to be on stage. Like I just like didn't want to be on public display, mm. but now I'm making all these very personal projects. I think a film, no matter what takes on its own life and becomes Oh, this is a film. I have to. I have to look at this as a film. I've chosen to fossilize this this experience as a film, or a version of right. one of the many fossils of it is now a film, and this is just the version I'm handling right now. And that's. Um, I think it's not so much about needing to get something off my chest so much as I feel that it's not just my story, and that's why it's it's uh it's something that I feel like I can share with people because I feel like it's like maybe moments of my life where I thought it was my story it was like I feel very isolated by this I want to release this story like from me to like connect with the world because I do think Mm -hmm. that people yeah have had this experience before um in maybe not with the same character in the same environments but the feeling is there and this is a an interpretation one of the many of Mm -hmm. of this experience um similarly to moving I was like everyone's been here before um I feel like people can relate and connect to this um not that I think it's like I'm making this for the people but Mm -hmm. I do feel like I'm not making something thinking that it's not going to translate in some universal way. And that's always the goal um, with, with making anything for me is that it's relatable more and more. I feel inspired to take those things and bring them to a very non, maybe non-Adena space, non-Adena context later Mm -hmm. on to see what that would look like. If I can just take the seed of something and see, if it can exist in a different country, a different language, totally different characters that, you know, don't wear my clothes or, you know, something like that, you know, there's, I'm curious to see how that, that goes, but it's always been a very intuitive process and it starts with the emotion. Mm-hmm. You really are crafting a narrative no matter what. And I think that's what, that's like the, that's like the barrier between yourself in the like the real like the deepest Mm. truths of where it's coming from and maybe the protective shield in order to carry on and make the film um right I mean yeah there's days where I'm like I really just want to adapt a book and see what would happen uh which is interesting to me that wasn't years ago I was like I wouldn't know how to do that but now I'm my my mind is expanding a little bit more not wanting to just talk about it'll always be you like in whatever Mm. if it's a character if it's a color or something it's always going to reflect you but I was really I remember recognizing myself in in your in the work in in cheer up baby and and how she goes on to experience the world and I think one of the biggest things that really captured me is uh, the pacing of it and the rhythm and kind of feels like a steam train that's like barreling ahead and then just like fully stops and you just have breath and then it goes again and I think also living in New York, that kind of are related to that. How do you begin to kind of find rhythm in a new work? Mm, that's a cool question. I I think with that one especially, I was thinking a lot about 
the body's sounds, the breath and um, all, and just playing with breath. That was sort of the first thing. I was getting very breathy in that film. I was like, it's all about breath. I wrote so many lines about like, she breathes heavily. Like all of that is in there. <laughs> it's always in my work to talk about breathing. And whenever I hear it, when I'm editing, I'm like, oh, wow, it's such a wonderful such a wonderful tool and it just comes from the body. I think that's so, that's so not something that can be overlooked, especially with the stuff that I like to create, which is very much about physicality and movement. Um, and that happens a lot in moving too. But I really started with the breath and I just kind of created music with the breath. The rhythm of it comes from the writing and it, you can see, I think on a page where things are going to feel fast and where things are going to feel slow, where your hard cuts, where's like the bleeding of one scene to another, all of that stuff was very much written into the piece. And I think something very important to this one was everything bleeding into each other. So no scene really, except for maybe once or twice, do you really get a hard cut from a scene to a scene? Because I think the idea to sort of blend all of these experiences for this character was really done in the sound. Mm -hmm. I was also very uh, resilient to using music so much, like any any non-diegetic music, because I just I just felt like I would be cheating and over manipulating this experience. There's very little music in it. It's this it's um this album that Caroline Polachek made many years ago. The sounds, I think that activate like sine waves. I, I really can't be quoted on this, but it's a really beautiful ambient album. And I listened to it. I was like, this is not, these are sounds. These are frequencies. This is like what I want. I don't need mm -hmm. melody. Um, it, it has its own, but I think it was just finding the most subconscious way to, to express the sounds that one might be feeling in this process and the ones that I wanted to create an atmosphere for, for the viewer. I just really liked the idea of playing with harder sounds and softer, like hard to soft, just like really like kind of trying to find as many contrasts as possible, which I think in some indirect way created the rhythm, like from the inside out, very much obsessed with sound. I think it's like our, most powerful tool especially in this film it's really an unforgiving part of the film process like you can forgive visuals but you really can't forgive bad sound mm -hmm. your body just can't forgive it <laughs> no it's really like a visceral yeah, experience yeah. I just also as I think it's easy to see like dialogue was just really not a big part of my language <laughs> dialogue is not a big part of my language it wasn't for that film I didn't know how to make it part of the language of the film so you know a lot of it was in the atmospheric sounds and the subconscious or the subliminal sounds that's what I would call it subliminal mm -hmm. noise and I think rhythm is a good way for us to transition into talking a bit about music videos because you've directed a lot of music videos and specifically a lot with OK Kaya, uh, Kaya Wilkins who's a Norwegian and American musician and actress as well and you had a longer creative partnership with her and done a lot of her her music videos what does your process look like when directing music videos where do you begin kind of to build a concept and what is your relationship with the artists in, in doing that yeah um that that collaboration is particularly special and one that I haven't had with anyone anyone it any other musicians I will I think the first thing to say is that it's so different and so much it's so different from narrative, my process. It's so much more free and so much sillier uh, in the process of, of developing an idea, especially with, with Kaya. It's just so not about conforming to any rules that I normally have to think about when I'm writing narrative. Um, which is really why I love doing music videos is to play with a different space and different tone that is more comedic or more all this stuff. I was like making all these very like sad films and I was like, I'm not, I would like to get into comedy a little bit. Like I would like to play around in a space that isn't just so serious. Um, and I think that our collaboration really gets to play with that a lot, which is 
very serious in many ways, but also playing with um, tone is is something that we we really share a lot of interest in. The way we met, I just reached out. I, we had mutual friends, and Kai was in New York at the time, so we we got to we got to just have a coffee and. Uh, yeah I was like wow she responded to me that's so cool she must be so nice because that's a lot of times you know lots of people don't respond and that's okay you know it's like that's life but I um yeah I I met her at a time where she was thinking about making some videos and she had seen something I had made so I don't know It, it always just started with being like I really like this person's music I really like their energy I think I can I, I feel akin to it and I want to add something to it and, and, and learn something from it. I think there's just very few musicians I have felt that way about and that I feel like I can do justice to as a director, as a co-director, unless I really like 1000% believe in their project and, and feel really, and really resonate with it. Kai had a bunch of ideas and it's really interesting to work with musicians because I think they're really so much more creative. <laughs> in in a way that is is so limitless and boundless because you know for me I'm just thinking about like well how are we going to make that you know like where's like right, where's that right. like the practicalities of stuff it was just kind of like starting with a batch of ideas that or were based off of the music and the album and then figuring out how to craft a narrative or uh, experimental piece around those things and what were the what were the defining features of of certain songs and what were certain things that felt that they needed to be there whether it was a prop or a movement or an environment mm-hmm. there's something very uh, different there's something that flows and I between our our collaborations that are very much like very open to just trying stuff, um, finding the environment. I think a location is very important to anything. I think if you don't have an interesting location, it's very, very hard to make an interesting piece because you're really responding to the environment. So lots of our projects have started with environment and shaping it from that and also not knowing perhaps everything that's going to happen, but trusting that we have enough to work with and like knowing the tone, mm-hmm. knowing the strangeness and the oddities and things that we're interested in all kind of coming together and then playing around in the edit, just being like, oh, this works, this works, this feels right. It's all just based off of intuition. Right. I did a project recently with Ariel East and I was listening to the song. I was like, the song is just like water. Like, how do I get to water with this project? And so that kind of just started, it's like starts with a word and then it just starts to snowball into something else. But yeah, it's a fun place to explore and you can try anything. Like you can literally do whatever you want. Yeah. There's just such a different, uh, not expectation, there's such a different uh, force field and it's it's so much more open, I think, than narratives. And there's just, it, they're done faster. They can be, you know, it all of the things that make something fun it's it's in music videos for me at least I think of that project so fondly and it was really such an eye-opening experience for me to to also let go of being so self-serious as a filmmaker yeah um in my own work and I think that's also a big part of just something I've been trying to uh unravel for myself is is wanting to figure out how to be a human and a filmmaker and not to feel like it's just this like serious you know poignant or intellectual or like whatever it is that can all be there but for me I'm like I just would like to play around a little bit more and see just just let things be a little bit easier to blow and not be so I relate to that feeling a lot as as an actor that it's very much becoming it's very much my identity that too like I am this and it's yeah I'm so involved with my career because everything feels so important and poignant and if I don't do it now it will never happen and kind of separating that I am this person and also being a person helps my work yeah right because if I'm just living in this one cycle I actually am not like you said a little bit earlier like living life and and experiencing and that in turn will help my work. But I think it's also all the things, the productivity culture. 
um, that it's really hard to separate those two things. Yeah, it's very, very hard to separate checking in with yourself a lot of the times before, during and after project and just feeling like, am I doing the thing that I want to be doing? Especially with the personal stuff. It's like, I'm, I can do whatever I want when it's personal, you know, it's like, why limit yourself to something that won't make you feel fully yourself and not hope, not trying to make something that you think has to be done a certain way or will, you know, appease the needs and the the desires of an audience or whatever it is, those pressures can get very into you when you're working on something, at least for me, you just have to be as honest with yourself in that process as possible. Being honest and being a a person is also not being one kind of way. Mm. And I think that's something that people really like to identify people with, especially like, you know, online with like, you know, culture. Um, It's like (laughs) branding as a, even if it's not the most uh, obvious kind of branding, it's like, what kind of filmmaker are you? What kind of woman are you? What kind Mm -hmm. of like vibe and style do you have? It's like, I could be a lot of things, you know, and I'm, you know, still figuring out who I want to be or what kind of, you know, color I want to wear tomorrow or whatever. It's just always changing. And so, yeah, it's an interesting space to not care um, too much, especially now, you know, it's just like, no one's really looking. Yeah. So you're just like, I'm no. just going to play around and like see what happens. Not put too right. much pressure on myself. I think that comes back also to the, to the personal and, uh, and putting it in a public form, right? It's, it's uh, when you're creating stuff or when you are a creator, eventually someone else is going to look at it. So having yeah. that and kind of, yeah, boundary setting, I guess, is also part of that and doing what you want and not what you think other people want from you. And molding yourself to that totally totally so talking about that let's talk a little bit about commercial work yeah. and and doing work for hire uh what are your kind of biggest takeaways from doing um com- commercial work and for example i know you did a video for zara or for gucci uh, and what are some of the challenges that come with that for you i think the biggest challenge especially because i started that stuff younger and feeling very eager and passionate about independent filmmaking and feeling and coming out of a school where I cared so much about everything I made even if it wasn't good is getting too attached to that work getting too attached emotionally to that process because obviously you want to do a good job but you're you're giving so much of yourself to something that is not ultimately yours um and the biggest lesson I am continuing to learn and is very hard for me is how to shut off a part of myself that I need to self-preserve as a human and also just as a filmmaker that makes my own work. What, I don't know what that means all the time, but that could be in uh, just aesthetic or uh, the level of empathy or like all this stuff. I just have no, I, you know, constantly reminding myself there's a distinction between a job and my personal work and wanting that distinction so that I can do both of those things well um and they do not yeah I do not want them to particularly inform each other as of right now because people hire you for the work essentially the narrative work and the personal work that you do yeah it's just about finding that internal uh you know the lines in your own in your own world, which is not, not like whether it's like, you don't want to be too um, attached to the material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just about not getting too invested in it, in the way that you would with your personal work. And I'm just saying that because I have felt I've lost myself to those projects um, in a way that I wish that I had conserved that energy for something of my own, not to say that I don't believe in them. They're just a very different kind of process it's an interesting space to continue to practice you know the craft continue practicing how to uh be on set what is that like like usually these are nicer equipments than you're using on your own work like playing around is also something that you can do in those spaces that sometimes you can't afford to in your own work and so sometimes you know you can try something out even if you have like lots of free time on set that day you're just like let's go like try this thing and you're like what what does that feel like 
similarly with music videos too, it's like trying out funky things and seeing if you can apply that back to things that feel a little bit more rigid. Yeah, it's a complicated relationship and I, uh, no. I don't know where it's going to go uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's, it just has pros and cons, you know, it's, it's like, it's, I'm grateful to have work uh, when it comes but it can also be very difficult to balance with the work that I want to do. It confuses my sense of self. Right. Cause that was going to be my next question about balancing your personal voice with the brand's voice and kind of the technicalities around that, because I don't, at least I didn't learn that in university kind of how to navigate when you start, when you do get work for hire and what do you bring in as a director um, or an edit uh, as an editor and how much of it uh, is informed by the person hiring you or the brand hiring you? I think it's, I don't particularly identify as having like a very distinguished aesthetic in visuals. Like I would say it might be more tonal for me. Uh, I don't have like, you know, a very specific look that I'm getting hired for. So it's not, you know, like many, maybe other uh, directors who have a bit more of a definitive, like I'll look at that being like, oh, that's that's X, Y, and Z, or a cinematographer being like, that's that's this person, mainly more in photography. But because it's more tonal for me, I feel, and that tone doesn't usually register in commercial work. I don't feel as um, confused uh, to implement that. Um, mm-hmm. But I will, yeah. I mean. I think no matter what, it will inherently not be as personal and as honest as the work that you make for yourself, whatever that means, you know, it's like, it's also just going to live in a very different context. And it's only, you know, there for a very particular amount of time, because of the way the world moves so fast. But with your personal work, it exists in a very different space, um, whether that's in festivals or it's online or if it's just with you I think it's always going to be different and I think it's your own measurement of what you need out of your personal projects to to make you feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not external validation of festivals or online premieres or whatever it's just sharing it and knowing that you've made something and that you finished something which is such an accomplishment in itself you know when you're working on something like a a commercial-based project fashion or or anything like that it's just um the context is different so you can sort of rely on the fact that it's um just kind of gonna go (laughs) it's gonna go somewhere and you're right you know I think what's what's liberating about that too is that you just don't have to be as precious even if you did a great job or you did a horrible job whatever whatever that means um it just goes and washes away into the shore and the next one will come. Okay. So before we wrap up, we're going to do a little like rapid fire recommendations column section. Cool. A piece (laughs) of music that you would recommend listening to. Oh, um, (laughs) wow. I'm, I was just talking to someone about how I'm so bad with music. Um, this isn't rapid answering, but I'll try. It's fine. (laughs) I was just listening to something very, Someone just put me on a Chili Gonzalez. I didn't know who that was until very recently. So I recommend. Love it. I recommend Chili. <laughs> a book you recommend. Honey's mm. Room by James Baldwin. Yeah. And then also All About Love by Bell Hooks. It's a really nice book to read right now. Great one. That's also a great recommendation. Um, a visual artist. Sally Mann. Hmm. Yeah. And then also back to books. Uh, her memoir, Hold Still, is really beautiful. Such a beautiful memoir. Um, great writer. Uh, a movie the world needs to see right now. In whatever way you interpret that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so much pressure. It's <laughs> a big question. <laughs> It's a really big question. I, I mean, there's so many movies that people can see right now. Um, Sunset Boulevard. Wow, great one. That's a good one. <laughs> and then last question, who would you like to take like a coffee to go and a socially distanced walk with? I just made a list like this recently where I wanted to 
to uh, invite a bunch of people dead or alive to a dinner. Um, it's a little manifestation moment. Sharon Salzberg. Oof. Sharon Salzberg. Yeah. Adina, thank you so, so much for being here. I thank really, you. really appreciate it. And I'm so interested in all that you do. So I'm just very grateful thank to talk you to so you. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking me all these questions. You can watch Cheer Up Baby, Chopping Onions, OK Kaya's music videos, and much more of Adina's work on Vimeo, YouTube, or her website, www.adinadancinger.com, all linked in the show notes. Don't miss an episode, hit that subscribe button, and stay tuned for sneak peeks on the podcast's Instagram, at Podcast. Till next week, stay safe and healthy. Bye-bye. <laughs>